Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. We were here this morning and we looked at verses where Jesus was interacting with one of the sisters of Lazarus who had died. That sister was Martha. Tonight we will look at verses where Jesus interacts with the other sister, Mary. So we're learning about two sisters and a brother from Bethany, a village about two miles east of Jerusalem. They were friends of Jesus. Jesus often came to their home, but they were more than friends. They were disciples. They were followers of Jesus. Begin reading in verse 28, and I'll read down through verse 37. And we'll come back and see what these verses teach us. John 11, verse 28. When she had said this, that's Martha, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Come, or Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? We're looking at a day in the life of Jesus when death had invaded a family. The brother of Mary and Martha, Lazarus, died. It appears that he was middle-aged, maybe young, no health problems till he contracted a disease. The word illness is used in the first several verses of this chapter. He was ill, had an illness, uh, so he contracted some serious, dreadful disease. And the sisters knew that his illness was acute, so they sent word to Jesus. They didn't ask him to come, actually, to heal their brother, but that's what they hoped he would do. Reading through the lines of the narrative, it appears that Lazarus was dead when the messengers who brought the word of his illness arrived where Jesus was. They returned, and Jesus waited two days before he left. To visit them. And by the time he arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had been dead for four days. That means he was buried probably 
in the tomb on the same day that he died. Jesus loved these two sisters and the brother. We read that in verse 3, verse 5. But he delayed in going to them. He delayed not because his love for them had grown cold, but he delayed in order to demonstrate his power by raising Lazarus from the dead. Now the sisters believed that Jesus needed to be present for him to heal their brother. And they believed had he been present that their brother would not have died. He would have healed him. They have no prospect of a resurrection. But he who was the resurrection and the life journeyed to Bethany for the primary purpose of giving life to the dead. Well, having examined this interaction with Martha this morning, let's look to see what takes place with our Lord when he comes to Mary or Mary comes to him. We saw in this first interaction with Mary that she came out to greet Jesus when she got news that he had arrived. But Mary remained in the house with those who came to comfort her. And after Martha spoke with Jesus, she went and told Mary that Jesus was calling her. We have those wonderful words there in verse 28. The teacher is here and he is calling for you. So she rose quickly and went to him. Having helped Martha, Jesus would now help Mary. I want you to look with me at three things in this passage. A call to come, a grief to share, and a critique to consider. So we begin with a call to come. Martha went home and said to her sister, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. She referred to Jesus as the teacher. King James has the word master, but this is not the Greek word kurios for Lord or master. This is the word that means teacher. And this is certainly a title appropriate considering the picture we have of Mary. We examined that this morning in Luke chapter 10 verse 39. Mary sitting at the Lord's feet doing what? Listening to his teaching. And so Mary or Martha comes and says the teacher is here and he's calling for you. You remember Mary had remained seated in the house when first uh, the word first came that Jesus had come to Bethany but not now. Jesus sent a special word for her through her sister, to come. And the scripture tells us here in verse 28 that Martha did this in private. I take that to be a sweet gesture. Mary thought her sister, or Martha thought her sister might wish to have a private meeting with Jesus alone. Now that didn't happen. Mary was not able to slip away unbeknown to the mourners who had gathered in the house. But notice Mary didn't dally. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And that's how all who are called by Jesus ought to respond. No delay, but going quickly. Let me, like Mary, hear the voice that called her by name 
and bade her mourning heart rejoice and her dear master claim. So she rose and immediately went to Jesus. John tells us that Jesus had not yet entered the village. He was on the outskirts of the town. He's still in the place where Martha had met him. Despite being told in private that Jesus had called her, Mary was not able to get away without others noticing. The people who were present with her in the home, there to console her and comfort her, saw her rise quickly and go out. And we read here that they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Often people refer, return to the place of the burial where a loved one is laid to pray and to meditate and to, to think of the one who's departed and now laid to rest. We do that today. I sometimes go to where my father's buried, where my mother is buried. Not to talk to them. They're with the Lord. But to reflect and remember the goodness of God in my parents' life. Something like that is going on here. They just assume she's going to the tomb to weep there and mourn the loss of her brother. It was customary for them as it is for us to go to a grave site and mourn and grieve so that's what our friends assumed she was going to do the picture is very touching rc sproul is right when he says there is something sacred something holy about people coming together to bring human comfort to those who have lost loved ones Mourners don't always know what to say to friends who've lost a loved one. You know that. You've been there before. And you say, what can I say? But you don't have to say anything. It's not necessary for words to be spoken. Just to be present. And to be with those who are grieving. The mere presence of friends in a time like this is an expression of of sympathy, a powerful expression. Let us remember that as the book of Ecclesiastes says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Well, we're doubly glad that those who came to console Mary followed her to the tomb, for that means there would be many witnesses of the miracle that Jesus was about to perform. John MacArthur says, God sovereignly orchestrated the circumstances to perfectly fit his purposes, ensuring that Jesus' miracle would be witnessed by the whole group. So you've got this large group of mourners giving comfort to the sisters but they're also going to be witnesses of this great miracle. We move on from this call to come to a grief to share. John brings us to the meeting of Mary and Jesus, and it's a very emotional scene. Mary falls at the feet of Jesus in tears. And we read here these sublime words, Jesus wept. 
We're not certain of the place where Mary met Jesus, probably somewhere between her house and the tomb. After this brief meeting together, Jesus is taken to the tomb where the body of Lazarus rested. But what happened when Mary found Jesus? John tells us that when she saw him, she fell at his feet, verse 33, and saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So when her eyes fell on Jesus, she had these two reactions. We see what she did, she fell on her feet, and we see what she said. Why did Mary fall at his feet? Casting herself at his feet was a gesture of the reverence and adoration that she had for him. Falling prostrate before him was an act of, of worship. Prostrate before him was an act of worship. Bowing before Jesus was customary with Mary. Mary, the sister of Martha, sister of Lazarus, appears three times in the gospel record, and each time she appears, she's at the feet of Jesus. There's the incident that we looked at this morning from Luke chapter 10, verse 39. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. There is the incident before us here. She fell at his feet. And then there is an incident that is recorded in John 12, verse 3. There she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. We saw this morning Martha confessed with her mouth that Jesus was Lord. Mary demonstrated in her actions that Jesus was Lord. At his feet, she humbly bowed. She humbly submitted herself to his will. Well, that's what she did. What did she say? She said the same thing her sister said when she first came to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you look back at verse 21, you see it's the very thing that Martha said when she went out to see Jesus. And that indicates to us that the two sisters had said this to one another since their brother had died. Foremost in their minds was this if. If Jesus had only been here. If Jesus would have come, Lazarus would not have died. And so Mary's echoing the same feeling as Martha. They knew Jesus possessed the power to heal. They certainly had seen him heal others. If they hadn't seen them, they'd certainly heard about uh, his healing others. And they were confident that had he been present by the bedside of their brother, he would not have died. And so Mary joined her sister in imagining what might have been had Jesus come when they request, requested him to come. This was part of her grief. Now, she would have been sorrowful had she not known anything about Jesus, but to know his power to heal and to know his love for them. 
Well, she had to contemplate this. Had Jesus been here, he would not have died. So she, like Martha, was overcome with grief, and she could not hold back. And she poured out her heart to Jesus. By the way, these words here on the lips of Mary are the only words recorded in Scripture spoken by her in the Gospels. Well, John then describes the reaction of Jesus to Mary. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. So we've got three reactions here. He was deeply moved in his spirit. He was greatly troubled. And he wept. This was his reaction to the weeping of Mary and the people who were with her. The word weeping on their part here is a strong word. It means weeping with loud lamentations. Used twice, first of Mary's weeping and then of the Jews who followed her. So this is a heartbreaking scene. They were overcome with sorrow. They wailed and they mourned. So intensely sorrowful and the pain Obvious. Have you ever seen people wail and weep like that? I have. My grandmother grew up in Iron City, Tennessee, just way back out in the woods. And I have been to funerals. Well, I remember going to the funeral when her husband died. It wasn't my great-grandfather. It would have been because he died, I never knew him, but she had remarried, Mr. Wilson. And when he died, I can remember on Highway 13, on the road from Florence to Collinwood, Tennessee, Methodist Church off to the right in Tennessee, and they're having the funeral for Mr. Wilson. And the weeping and the wailing I've never heard the likes of before. And funeral directors, I guess they still do in some of these places, break out the ammonia packs, break them open, throw them up under the nose of people to keep them from fainting and passing out. We're looking at a scene like this, loud, weeping or, or, or moaning and, and, and weeping lamentation. And that had an effect on Jesus. We could add this passage to many others that we find in the gospel that demonstrate the human nature of Jesus. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And when he saw Mary weeping and heard the moans of his heart, he was moved with deep emotion. That's our Lord in the days of his flesh. Phil Newton, a pastor in Memphis, well says, grieving is part of humanity. God gave us the capacity to grieve 
when facing loss. There is nothing unspiritual about it unless our grief exceeds the boundaries of those who live in the hope of Christ. Well, let's look more closely at this response of Jesus to the weeping of Mary and the Jews. The first thing we read, verse 33, is he was deeply moved in his spirit. Now, there is much debate on what this means. And the reason is because the verb that is translated deeply moved in the ESV usually denotes anger. The word literally means the snorting of horses. And metaphorically, it signifies anger. And some, few, but some have translated this like he was angry in his spirit. Or a deep anger welled up within him. Though few translations actually go that way, many commentators do. Apart from its use here, and in verse 38, it appears only three other times in the New Testament. Once in Matthew, twice in Mark, where it is translated sternly warned, sternly charged, and scolded. Those translations convey the thought of anger, outrage, indignation. Now, if this is how this Greek verb is to be understood in John 11, then the anger of Jesus is probably directed against death. Or some would say he was angry at the mourners whose grief had exceeded the boundaries of proper grief. But I don't think that's how we are to understand this. I agree with Leon Morris who says that Jesus wasn't showing anger in the face of death. Rather, he was showing deep emotion. He was profoundly moved in his inner being. It says in his spirit here. It's not a reference to the Holy Spirit. His human spirit. He observed the sorrow and grief of Mary and her friends. He's not angry. New English translation says he was intensely moved. The old King James and the new King James has he groaned in the Spirit. So we are to understand this as compassionate grief. Yes, Jesus sometimes displayed fiery, hot anger. But this wasn't anger. It was grief born by compassion for those whose hearts were aching. Matthew Henry says it was an expression of his kind sympathy with his friends that were in sorrow. He was inwardly and sincerely affected with the case. Oh, the sympathizing character of Jesus. He was possessed with unbounded love and he, as the man of sorrow, displayed grief for the suffering. While he observed Mary in particular, but the others also weeping and mourning, he was deeply moved in his spirit. Second, we read, 
verse 33, that he was greatly troubled. What troubled him? Some say he was troubled because the thoughts of Mary and the others were fixed on things below, not on things above. That may very well be. But I think this expression is probably an extension of being deeply moved in spirit. It's just another way of saying he was troubled because he had deep concern for those who were mourning. And the fact that he's one with us in humanity means he is one with us in our agony. And what he saw that day brought deep pain to his heart. But now we see the third thing, being deeply moved in his spirit and greatly, deeply troubled, he was brought to tears. If you've never memorized a verse from the Bible, you can memorize this one. Jesus wept. John records some of the most moving words in Holy Scripture in the shortest verse in the Bible. Now, this word for wept here is different than the one that was used of Mary and the others, which probably means his grief wasn't quite the same as, there, as theirs. But there were tears nonetheless. We read three times in Scripture that Jesus wept. One is here. He wept at Lazarus' grave. He wept as he looked over the city of Jerusalem and contemplated her destruction. Luke 19, verse 41. And he wept when he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. Now the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who tell us about the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus praying there, do not tell us that he wept. They tell us he was troubled and deeply distressed. They tell us his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. But in the scripture reading we had earlier from Hebrews, we read about him offering up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. That indicates that was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Tears often course the face of our Savior. Did you know the Bible never tells us that Jesus laughed? I suppose he did. That's human to laugh, isn't it? The Bible never even tells us he smiled. But I'm sure that he did. But the Bible does tell us he wept. A.W. Pink said, The shortest verse in the Bible, yet what volumes it contains. Spurgeon said, Shortest of verses in words, but where is there a longer one in sense? Oh, the meaning, the depth we could go to explore Jesus wept. What does this short verse teach us about Christ? It teaches us in tones loud and clear that he was a true man. That he was a compassionate Savior. 
In the history of the church, there have been many who have denied the deity of Christ. You don't have to go very far uh, in, in church history to find that out. Arius, and of course the Jehovah's Witnesses and people like them, follow in that teaching. Deny the deity of Christ. And we battle that as Reformed evangelicals. But there have also been those in the history of church that have denied his humanity. And one of the things they tried to erase from Scripture are the tears of Jesus. That he wept is clear indication that he was a true man. Not some phantom ghost, but a man, a real man. It's fitting that the gospel, which declares I think the deity of Jesus more forthrightly than any other, the Gospel of John, also teaches very clearly his humanity, his manhood. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can't get any stronger than that on the deity of Christ. That's John 1, verse 1. John 20, Thomas, my Lord and my God. You can't get any stronger than that. But this one who became flesh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, wept. And his weeping is proof of his genuine humanity. John Calvin said, The Son of God, having clothed himself with our flesh of his own accord, clothed himself also with human feelings. He was, as Isaiah prophesied, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That he wept affirms that he was a true, genuine man. But that he wept also reveals him to be a compassionate Savior. In the context of these words, Jesus wept, are other expressions of him being deeply moved, greatly troubled. He sees Mary's broken heart, and he's broken hearted. Can we say that about Jesus? His tears gave outward expression of the tender, warm feelings that he had toward them. Now Jesus knew their sorrow would soon be turned to joy. For he had come for the purpose of raising Lazarus from the dead. But he still had compassion for them in their sorrows. Jesus was moved with deep emotion for those who wrestled with sorrow and grief in the face of the cruel enemy of death. Mary and Martha were overcome with grief at the death of Lazarus. And Jesus, though knowing he was going to raise him from the dead, identified with their grief and wept with them. He's our sympathizing Savior. When we come to the final point in this paragraph, we've seen a call to come and a grief to share. We now focus on a critique to consider. John records the reaction to the grief Jesus shared with Mary. 
Note verses 36 and 37. So the Jews said, See, or behold, how he loved him. But some of them said, they're always pessimists in the crowd, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So there are two reactions here. First, there were those who observed Jesus weeping and said, see how he loved him. They recognized that his tears were tears of compassion. They saw that about him. The tears that he shed pointed to the love that he had for all three of them. But the text says, see how he loved him. Speaking of Lazarus, the one in the grave. They recognized the sympathetic nature of Jesus and his genuine concern for this family. Dear friends, never be ashamed to weep. The tears of Jesus told the people something about his love. Many of those who were present, probably a large number who were present, had come to despise Jesus, not believing that he was the Messiah. But they could not ignore the expression of love in his heart on this day. Oh, what tender compassion and love. And is not his heart the same today? Who is on the throne at the right hand of God? Who is it that intercedes for us? There is one mediator, right? Between God and man. Who is that mediator? The man. Christ Jesus. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Perhaps some of you in your life have been bombarded with the doctrinal and dogmatic side of Christianity in an unhealthy way. And you've missed its experiential and heart-caring side. We know there are people like that. Oh, they dot every I and cross every T just right. Orthodox. Conservative. Believing. The truth but do so in a hard manner. When we're around people like that, we sometimes can fail to see the deep, deep love of Jesus. So I appeal to you to behold the weeping Christ, the loving Christ, and with all your orthodoxy, have heart and compassion, and love like Jesus. I love the expression that Paul has, that he wrote in his letter to the Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. Some people, because they emphasize love, fail to speak the truth. And some people, because they speak the truth, do so harshly. And without love. Can't we speak the truth and do so with love and compassion for people? So I urge you to look at this passage of Scripture and see Jesus loving, weeping, grieving. But I urge you to look at another place where you can behold his love too. Look at Jesus hanging on the cross 
in the sinner's place. Greater love hath no man than this, and he lay down his life for his friends. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have a compassionate Savior who loves sinners. And He understands experientially our grief and sufferings and He sympathizes with us. His tears at Bethany assure us of His love. And because our Savior wept, doesn't mean He's never righteously angry with the wicked, for He is. But His love makes a way for Him to pardon transgressors of all their sins. So we see people observing Jesus weeping and saying, see how he loved him. But then there were those who observed Jesus weeping and asked this question. And you know, all we have are the words. We don't have the tone, do we? How would you read what they say here? I would read it something like this. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? This question was raised by people who suspected him of hypocrisy. They assumed that if he could, he would. So he must be a fraud. He loved Jesus so, or he loved Lazarus so much, why did he allow him to die? That's the tone that I get from this. Of course, Jesus could have kept Lazarus from dying. But he had a greater purpose in mind. What was that purpose? Go back to verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, that is, when he heard that the one he loved was ill, this illness does not lead to death. That means it will not end in death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's the key passage in the whole of John chapter 11, I think. His illness is not going to end in death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And they would soon discover this. But the very fact that they asked the question betrays their unbelief. They didn't expect a miracle. They probably even explained the way, they mentioned the blind man here. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man? That's going back to the blind man, John chapter 9, the man born blind. And they're probably even denying that, hearing the story. Well, if he opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he do this here? Was he, is he not able to raise the dead? Yes, he is. His power was not disabled, nor was his love diminished for his friend. He would demonstrate both in order to reveal the glory of God and in order to, to strengthen his disciples' faith. Jesus wasn't too late to do anything about his friend. He came to Bethany at just the right time, according to his father's timetable. As I said this morning, Christ is never too late. 
We've looked at the weeping of Christ this evening. What a tender, compassionate Savior He is. And this remains true now, even though He is ascended. And at the Father's right hand, as we read in Hebrews, He is still touched with sympathy, sympathy for our weaknesses and infirmities. So He has compassion for us. And He's able to help us. James Montgomery Boyce well said, It is not an impassable, insensitive, unmovable Christ that is commended to you and me in Christianity. It is one who has entered into our grief and who understands our sorrows. So let's be like Jesus. Let's be in touch with the sorrow of those who have pain, who are suffering the loss of loved ones. But let us take our cares and concerns to Jesus. For he appears even now in heaven in the presence of God for us as the man, Christ Jesus, who makes intercession for us. We thank you, O God, that we read such words as these about Jesus, deeply moved in his spirit, greatly troubled. Jesus wept. Give us some measure of understanding of that. It's more than we can plumb, more than we can grasp. But help us to understand the main things. This, this one who was fully God, fully man. And he sympathizes with us. He was like us in every point without sin. And he experienced the same grief and sorrow that we experience. And he is one with us in it. And thus we can go to him. To whom else shall we go? He is the one who has words of eternal life. He is the one who has bid us to come unto Father through him seeing he ever lives to make intercession for us. Now, we anticipate our study next week of Jesus going to the grave and calling Lazarus forth. What a mighty miracle. But what wonderful things we have seen today. Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him shall never die. Because we have eternal life in him. And then we have a sympathizing Savior who sees us in our trouble and is compassionate. So may we take these things in and rejoice in them. And may we be like Jesus and showing compassion to those around us who are in need. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.